Price of Gold by Catherine Tone. The lighthouse guards one of the fiercest tidal races on earth, where treacherous currents rush through the channels of a jagged reef. The skeletons of ships lie many deep over the hidden rocks. Myths and legends of malevolent creatures are told around these dangerous coasts, where the ocean hides mystical isles and sea creatures lure sailors to the kingdoms of the deep. Boats were crushed like eggshells by the giant Stoorworm, a monstrous sea serpent that can encircle the globe. These folk tales are told in a small museum on the northerly shore of the most remote of the Orkney Islands. Here, you'll find stories of superstition entwined with true accounts from sailors who survived the worst that the sea could throw at them. And you'll see old coins lying among the journals and cannonballs. Each gold coin, it is said, was paid for with the bones of ten dead men. I have no idea what possessed me to go into the violin shop in Glasgow that day. I hadn't picked up a fiddle in years, but I was on the way to Kelvin Grove Art Gallery when I caught sight of the sign. I pushed open the door and wondered what to say to the man behind the counter. I'd like to buy a fiddle. It seemed the right thing to mention. Do you have anything in mind? he asked. Well... One that plays a good tune. They don't tend to play themselves, but certainly some sound better in tone than others, he said. Do you have a budget? They start at less than a hundred quid and go up into the thousands. Well, I'm a bit rusty, so let's start in the hundreds, I told him. The man held open a heavy curtain and motioned for me to follow him. Shiny-hued violins hung around the walls. Some lay on antique chairs, others were propped against cushions. The room was decked out like a Victorian parlour with an iron range and oil paintings of highland scenes. What about this one? I reached to take a scruffy specimen from its perch, but the man stepped forward to hand me the instrument. Whilst most of its companions were smooth with an even finish, the one I held was a mucky red and looked like it had been glued together by a five-year-old. The wood was warped, and despite copious amounts of varnish, its finish was dull and lifeless. An unusual choice, sir. It is partly made from Indian dye wood. How old is it? <sighs> Difficult to say. Probably homemade by a musician rather than a fiddle-maker. Do you want to try it? He handed me a bow, and I thought I'd try some scales. The violin appeared to have other ideas, and I found my fingers moving quickly into a dance tune in a minor key. I must have heard it before, though I had no memory of it. Despite its battered appearance, the fiddle had a rich tone, and I gave myself up to the melody. Ah, a polka, said the man. You two should get along together very well. I can let you have it for four hundred pounds. I took the violin to my house in the suburbs. I started the haunting tune. With each minute, my bow swept wider across the strings, my body swaying with the dance. 
I'd always had trouble moving my hand up the neck of a fiddle in the past, but now it was effortless. An hour passed before I tore the violin from my shoulder and locked it in the case. That night, there were dancers in my bedroom, couples who spun endlessly together. In the shadows beside the wardrobe stood their fiddler, pale, ragged and barefoot. As I stared at his skinny arm moving the bow, long fingers racing over the strings, his scaly hair and white brow, he was not looking in the direction of his companions, but towards me. His lids blinked quick over his black eyes every minute or so. I'm not sure if he actually saw me, as his pupils were so large I could barely detect his irises. His look was desperate and hungry. His head and neck moved as one with his body. His tongue darted from his wide mouth and there were the folds of a neckerchief at his throat. He wore a pigtail, stiffened with a white powder, and the tails of his coat flicked to the rhythm of the polka. Go, I whispered. Please. The thing, I was sure he was no longer a man, swung his head towards me, but his body stayed in the same position, the long fingers pulsing to the beat. His mouth opened, and its red interior belched a foul stench of rotting seaweed and timber. In my fear, I took in great lungfuls of iodine and salt-laden air. I knew for certain I would drown in my dry city bedroom if I didn't do something. The fiddler's eyes became larger, covering me in a dark circle. Soon I would be helpless in the blackest of nights. I fumbled for the radio alarm next to the bed and pushed the switch, and Abba's SOS came belting out. I turned up the volume so loud my heart raced. You hate it too, I cried as the spectres rapidly disappeared. Don't come back! I couldn't take any more either, so switched off the radio and pulled my duvet over my head. I shivered so hard my teeth ached, but I slept until just before dawn, when the radio wakened me with a more pleasing tune. At work, at the library, my head raged with a migraine as I tried to figure out why my colleagues were giving me strange looks. What's up? I asked Sal as we sipped coffee in the staff room. It's that infernal tune you keep humming. It's been non-stop all morning. Change the record, please, or you'll be banished to the stacks. <sighs> I think I'll just go home, I told her. I've got a stinking headache. In the street, I noticed the bar on the corner had a folk session that evening, and at eight o'clock I was back with my fiddle case. A woman with an accordion moved up the bench and smiled. More the merrier, she said. That's Mike, who pretty much sorts everyone out. An elderly man with a beard leaned over the table to shake my hand. Another fiddler, eh? You want to just join in, or perhaps play us a tune and we'll tag along? I haven't played for years, I said. I can only play one tune. I'll give it a go. I was surprised the fiddle was still tuned up, and the familiar dance tripped off my fingers. 
The sound swelled to fill the whole space, and no one attempted to follow me, even though I played the phrase many times. After a couple of minutes, Mike motioned me to stop. Took a great act of will to still my racing fingers, but I won the struggle and placed the fiddle on my knee. That's some playing, said Mike. If you can perform the polska with such skill, you can obviously master many other tunes. The polska? Now, what you're playing sounds like a Nordic dance, adapted from a Polish one. I have heard similar tunes from Swedish country areas, and I've heard this version before. You have? I asked. Where? On the Orkney island of North Ronaldsey. They held a small folk festival and a young boy was playing it over and over. <laughs> Must be addictive. Do you know the boy's name? I'd like to ask him about it. Mike paused. No, but I did hear he was drowned a few weeks later. There are treacherous waters up there. The other players had itchy fingers, and banjo, accordion, fiddle and baran played well-known tunes. I sat it out while I wondered how I could get to North Ronaldsey. Two days later, I boarded a ferry from mainland Orkney. The right tub with MDF from the 1970s peeling off its walls. I had nearly four hours on the thing, stuck with an old couple that laid flat out on the benches and snored. Yeah, you could hardly blame them. Rain and spray lashed with great thwacks on the windows, blotting out any views of the North Isles. A few moments from the harbour, a sheet of water cascaded from above, drenching the sleeping pensioners. Waves rippled across the floor within seconds. It's a water tank's on the roof. You'll have to go out on deck, said one of the crew. He bent down to grab my violin case as it drifted past. Don't forget your fiddle, he said. Perhaps I should have just chucked it overboard, but I needed it for a while longer. Ronnie from the guesthouse met me off the boat and we raced to his pickup to escape the wind. There were sheep stuck behind a wall on the beach to make room for the cows in the fields. We'll get you a cup of tea and a bite to eat. What brings you here? A mystery I need to solve, I told him. Talking about those, what does meat from seaweed-eating sheep taste like? You'll have some mutton later, Ronnie said, as if it was the only dish on offer. The sheep are used for meat and fleeces. We use Indian dyewood to dye the wool at their mill. There's no shortage of that here. How's that? I asked. A ship was wrecked here in 1740 and we still get our cargo when someone is brave enough to salvage it. We use it for all sorts of things. Had the folk festival player who drowned made the fiddle from Indian dyewood, I wondered. Broaching the subject of a dead boy could be a bit tricky in a small community like this. But I didn't have to wait long for my chance. Seeing the fiddle case, Ronnie suggested we might like to go to the pub that night and perhaps I could play a tune or two. I could play one. No bother. The pub was tiny, with one beer pump and a few bottles of whiskey. Two old salts sat at the bar while an elderly woman wearing three coats was complaining loudly at a table about us being in the way of the television. I bought four drams for the men and rum for the lady. <laughs> it came to six quid. Tune up then, boy, 
said one of the men. I had a feeling they might not like my tune, but it was the only one I had. This time the dance went faster than ever. I was dizzy with exhaustion and fear at what possessed me. Stop him, shouted the old woman, now on her feet. Strong hands wrestled the fiddle from my grasp as the men took control. They waited for me to get my breath back. Eyes watched me with concern and pity as if I was a condemned man. We must tell him, said Ronnie, patting my shoulder. Esther, you're the one who knows what to do. And she began. A ship was travelling from Bengal to Gothenburg in Sweden, carrying a cargo of Indian red dye wood, the finest silk and cotton, saltpetre and chests of gold coins and other treasures belonging to the crew and passengers. Forty men's lives had already been claimed before the ship reached these waters. The old woman handed me her rum glass and paused while I got it refilled. The Svekia was drawn onto the rocks of Reef Dyke. She was pushed south in a severe gale and was trapped in a fierce tide-rip. She was driven onto the rocks of the reef. Did anyone survive? I asked. There were attempts to escape on boats and makeshift rafts, but they were swept away. A few souls clung to the stricken ship for three days whilst the shadowy figures of the islanders watched them from the shore, waiting for treasure. No one tried to save them. How could they know seas? Some survivors blamed the islanders for not helping, but that was impossible. Ninety hands were lost. The last thing the folk heard above the crash of the surf was the ship's fiddler playing a dance. My dance, I said. Your dance now. Folk have been hoping to get their hands on the gold for generations, but all we ever get thrown is timber, which we used to dye wool. Some have died trying to salvage the wreck. The reef dike is treacherous. Then young Geordie found the remains of the fiddle washed up among the wood. He patched it up as good as he could and won the prize at the folk festival for the best solo performance. How did he die? I whispered, after swallowing back my dram. Attempting to give the fiddle back to its owner above the wreck site. He reached in too deep and was grabbed to rest among the dead men's bones. You must do it or you'll never get any peace, and likely we won't either, said Esther, holding out her glass for another. Can't we just break it up and throw it on the fire? <laughs> that won't work. Esther laughed. You can smash it, burn it, drop it out of a plane, but it will be back in your room when you get home. We're all in this together on the island, said Ronnie. We can't sort it. I'll tell you what to do. Tide's no bad tomorrow. We'll meet first light. What time's that? I asked. Three thirty. I waited the violin case with heavy stones from the shore below the old beacon, the first light in the north to be built to protect ships like Svekia. There were just three hours until dawn. I lay on my bed. Each moment I closed my eyes I saw that bony arm reaching for me, felt claws digging in my flesh. They were my own fingernails during those twilight hours. Three boats were ready for us. Two was back up as we set off. 
The minister said a few prayers at the pier, and we made our way at slack tide towards the boiling, surging patch of sea. The reef was covered, but waves frothed white above it, sending a small boat tossing like a cork. There was no question of being grounded, but walls of water crashed over our sides. Above the wind, I heard the fiddle's thin tune become stronger. So loud, I pulled my hands over my ears with the pain. Shut up, you Swedish bastard! I yelled. For God's sake, do it now! Ronnie shouted. The case was heavy. Between us, we balanced it on the edge and waited. The tune was louder. The scream of the engine could barely hold us. Look! Ronnie shouted. Look out! The thin arm was on me, like a conger eel, pulling so hard I felt my bone being torn from my shoulder socket. No! Ronnie yelled. We heaved the fiddle over and held on for our lives till the arm with a huge flail took it. The music stopped. All it could be heard was the wind and our skipper powering the engine for our return to shore. The next day, I had a tour of the Victorian Stevenson-designed lighthouse and the old beacon built 70 years earlier on the rocks nearby. In the shop, I saw dolls made from Indian dyewood, salvaged from the Svekia. Want one as a souvenir? Ronnie asked. <laughs> no thanks. On the shore, I looked out to the reef, boiling like a jacuzzi. At my feet... I found a few gold coins. The Price of Gold was written by Catherine Turnbull and read by Mark Sangster. Sound editing was by Mark Lingwood. Music was courtesy of Saltfish 40. The series producer is Bibby Berkey. And it was brought to you by Tempest Productions. <laughs>